This is a war, so we're being told, and the enemy is the coronavirus. And one man here at Warwick Business School has been surveying the battlefield and predicting where the winners in business are likely to emerge and where the losers are likely to fall. He's John Colley, Professor of Practice in Strategy and Leadership, and in this Core Insights podcast, one of a series focusing on the impact the pandemic's having on both individuals and society, and on how your organisations can survive it, he'll be telling us what he makes of the battle-scarred terrain below him. Well, he joins me now via telephone link, of course, and Professor Share with us your vision of things, as I say, as you look down on the field of battle. Well, I see some very clear winners and unfortunately an awful lot of clear losers in this battlefield. The winners, clearly grocery industry, pharmaceuticals doing very well, anything online, social media, those kind of industries. The losers is almost anything else. Manufacturing has got no one buying its products, so even if it was allowed to make anything, there is no little or no demand. Retail has been shut down, restaurants have gone. It's very far-reaching. Transport has no one to ferry. Hotels, accommodation, absolutely no one's using them. And so clearly this is putting huge strains on those businesses. And whilst governments are willing to offer some support it is quite limited, the support. And so ultimately, I'm afraid a lot of losers will end up going out of business. And we're starting to see that already. Now, you're nothing if not specific about who the winners and losers are. We'll go into more detail in a moment. But first, the headlines. The winners, Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, Google and Apple. Why? First of all, they're very dominant businesses in their own sector. Facebook dominates the social media sector. It was one of the original starters in that industry, effectively created the industry. Google, much the same. People are sat at home. They're using these, if you like, these technology apps greatly because they've got nothing else to do and it gives them access to so many other things and particularly other people. Similarly, Amazon, it again was one of the first into its industry And now if you want to buy most merchandise, then Amazon for most people is by far the easiest way of doing it. Netflix goes without saying. People are sat at home with nothing to do and the entertainment is Netflix. And we're doing all this through Apple devices. So they're reasonably happy as well. By contrast, though, Airbnb, Uber, WeWork are among the losers, as you see it, presumably because their core business, transport, taxes, hospitality and office space, can't function in a lockdown. No, they can't function at all in, uh, in a lockdown. In effect, they're seeing little or no business. It's also perhaps fair to say with these businesses that they weren't making any money anyway. Uber's been typically losing four to five billion a year. We work much the same, two billion a year. So they weren't fit and healthy businesses anyway, and they didn't really dominate their own industries anyway. Uber had plenty of competition. Uh, we work certainly has plenty of competition. We can add ho- hotel chains in OEO, huge number of hotels to compete with. And Airbnb also has an awful lot of very uh, successful websites to compete with. So it also has uh, significant problems at the moment. 
And none of them make any money. They're all pretty marginal at best. And indeed, there was major questions around whether they ever would make money. So the difference perhaps is between the tech companies and the companies that use tech in an ancillary way. Yes, I think some of it. First of all, the successful companies we've spoken of, Facebook, Google, Amazon, in effect, they all created their industries. They were there at the very beginning, and they've managed to create major network effects. Now, network effects are, let's say, take Amazon is typically a good example, but so is Facebook and Google, whereby the more suppliers they attract, the more customers they attract, because the customers are getting more choice, more price competition from suppliers, more customers you attract, the more suppliers you attract to it. And this typically leads to a winner-takes-all strategy. And we've got that with Amazon, we've got it with Facebook, social media, social networking is much the same, whereby if you're going to join a social networking site, then it's likely to be Facebook or one they own, Instagram, WhatsApp, etc., uh, as facilitations, because they have by far the most people on it. So they, in effect, were at the beginning, created these strong network effects. The other industries we've spoken of, things like um, taxi ride hailing, first of all, technology is no longer a competitive advantage there in that all the taxi firms operate off similar technology now. And so technology is not a competitive advantage in that particular interest or there's only very minor competitive advantage. People are really only interested in two things when they want a taxi. They want a taxi to arrive rapidly and they want the price to be low. And so that's what Uber have provided. But unfortunately, a lot of other taxi businesses can also provide that as well. So it's highly competitive. And also, if you want to enter that industry, there's no real barriers to entry. Getting a license for a taxi firm is not particularly demanding. And to become a taxi driver yourself is actually very easy. All you need is a driving license. You need to have a criminal records check. And you need to have a car which is checked as roadworthy. So the entry barriers to actually get into the industry means that there can be a flood of competitors in there competing down the price. And it doesn't take many within a competitor to be able to achieve reasonable levels of responsiveness and indeed low prices. Vast bulk of the costs of a taxi firm are actually just the wages, 80% of it is the wages of the drivers, and that's the same for Uber and the same for its competitors. So where does that see possibly an emerging business like Zoom, a winner presumably, with lots of competitors behind them hoping to emulate their success? Well, I think Zoom's a bit different. There are clearly a number of competitors in that particular field. There's Microsoft, there's various others in there, but it has... What it's done, though, is it's facilitated use of Zoom. So business people, in effect, have all started to use it because they have no choice. They either use that or one of its competitors. And that's facilitated it, and people have realized that it is quite effective as a means of having a meeting, which means you don't have to go traipsing along to so many meetings. 
And I think this will change behavior, which means that Zoom will be well positioned because people have got used to using it and found that it is actually quite, quite useful. Are there enough people, though, waiting in the wings to invest, holding their nerve, as it were, until the virus goes and then becoming one of an army of backers? Well, clearly, if we take WeWork, which is office sharing, they've, well, they've been running about two billion losses anyway. But their principal backer, SoftBank, has just reneged on a three billion tranche of capital. Uh, they were going to buy up some of the shares to fi- help with the financing. And they've just pulled that. Now, clearly, it'll, all, it'll end up in court. But you can see the sentiment from the backer there is that this is not worth backing, that it probably isn't going to survive, that the market's too competitive, so we're out. If you take someone like Uber, Uber's a listed business on the S&P 500 in the States. Now, it probably has, it's got, probably got four or five billion sat in the bank of cash, so it can see its way through a year. But its big problem then is its share price has halved. So raising money then through a stock issue is not going to be very effective. It's, uh, it's going to be very high cost finance. So they start then to face their demons. If we take Airbnb, they were going to list this year. Uh, Very keen about it, viewed by many as being one of the better so-called tech stocks in that it more or less broke even. Now, they can't list anymore, probably can't list for several years, which is a major problem, which I'll come back to. But they're now having to raise funds at very high cost. So they're having to pay junk bond rates of interest to, uh, to borrow money from private equity, 10, 12, 13 percent, which suggests that the backers view them as very, very risky indeed. So it's being very costly to them. Now, Airbnb, I suspect, will survive all of this but it may not be as successful a business as many hoped it would. So cash flow, or lack of credit, is the problem. When and how will that be fixed? And that's the big problem, that uh, cash has dried up generally to, to businesses. Banks don't want to lend to them. Governments are trying to facilitate some bailouts of certain industries, but I fear these industries, which we've spoken of, are not those which are likely to receive a bailout. So I think they're, they're going to struggle going forward. They're going to find cash very hard to get. Um, people may be much more objective around investing in future, much more realistic in terms of what's likely to be successful and what isn't. And these businesses, let's be realistic about them. Taxes has always been a low margin business. It's never made a lot of money over the years. So as, frankly, hotels have always been the bottom end of the league table for generating returns. Holiday booking sites always been quite narrow margin. So all these industries, in effect, they've actually not followed the technology industry line. They've actually followed the industry they're in line. They've been affected by it. And my guess is none of these are going to be particularly successful businesses going forward, despite the hype. But what about the possibility of the government underwriting some of this debt? Will the pressure be on them to bail people out? Well, there will be, yes. And they will select strategic industries, 
which they'll choose to bail out. So things like transport, getting people moved around the country uh, or indeed the world, I think those kind of industries will, will see a bailout. Any industry which is viewed as essential and has probably got high barriers to entry would probably be in line for cash. Industries such as this, I don't think they're too worried whether the businesses go out of business or not because others will roll up and take their place as the entry barriers are quite low. So I don't see bailouts for taxi companies, hotel companies, holiday booking sites, these kind of things. I really don't see those those happening. So without the bailout, presumably they simply go bust? They do. They go bust or they end up um, in a kind of living hell where they can't invest because they don't have the cash to invest but people don't actually pull the plug on them either. So they just continue to exist, usually with a very high level of debt to creditors, to banks, to whoever, and possibly even government, if government chooses to lend to them, because governments will not be in a hurry to write off that debt. They'll want the money paying back or they'll want to convert it into equity ownership. But I don't see it with these type of industries in terms of getting a bailout. What ways are there currently for firms to preserve cash or at least what cash they have? I think that's probably more straightforward. And I think boardrooms up and down the country at the moment are looking at that. First of all, don't buy any businesses at the moment unless you've really got a mountain of cash. Uh, Although there may well be good opportunities coming along shortly. Stop all major projects, just don't spend money on them. Furlough all employees, which you're not actually using at the moment. Reduce stocks. Uh, It's well worth investing in credit control in terms of persuading customers to pay you. And clearly businesses are not paying their creditors at the moment either. So it's a mixture of saving cash and cutting costs at the moment, which pretty much everyone's up to up and down the country. The big problem this is causing is that no one's actually paying their creditors, that is, the suppliers. So cash has stopped moving. It's just not moving through businesses, and they're all building huge debt to each other. And you can see where this is likely to go, in that some may go into administration, which basically means they don't pay their creditors, and in turn that will then bring down their creditors and so on, as they all lose money. This is going to happen, um, not in the next six months, possibly, but um, probably over the next year or two. I think we're going to see much higher levels of administrations and receiverships. Put simply, I suppose, it's a bad time to be in debt or to be owed money right now. Absolutely. This is great irony. Those who've got cash, they're king at the moment. They're the ones who, uh, I won't say are sitting pretty, but they're certainly in a better position Those who've got substantial amounts of debt have a problem, you know, because it's difficult to keep borrowing more money and probably lenders won't lend to them. And there's whole industries with high levels of debt that the philosophy until until the virus was that you should run um, a reasonable level of debt because it created a more efficient structure, i.e. much lower cost of financing for a business. If you look at debt, cost of debt, you're probably borrowing money 1% to 2%. What's inflation? 1% to 
and you get tax relief on the interest as well. So in reality, the cost of borrowing over the last probably 10, 15, 20 years has been negative. So people have been encouraged to borrow very large sums of money, which they all have done. Indeed, some business models take private equity. Their business model involves using large amounts of debt to leverage the equity. What this means in short is that you borrow large amounts of money at very low interest rates indeed. And this means the returns to equity are much higher. And that's been a fundamental part of their model. So clearly, businesses in private equity, many of them will have a problem at the moment, a lot of debt and no one willing to lend to them. Having said all of that, the private equity owners themselves, these are the companies who make the investments, are sat on about $2.5 trillion of cash themselves. So they can decide which of their businesses they choose to bail out and which ones they think are really probably not worth bailing out and let those go to the wall or, in effect, fall into the hands of the creditors. They're also in a very strong position give it six months, nine months, to buy up businesses which are distressed. That is good businesses who've simply been lumbered with far too much debt over the years. So they, in effect, are a loser in one hand in their existing businesses, will be problematic. But because they have so much cash, then they're likely to be winners in terms of being able to take advantage of the situation. So the private equity firms may not be, as it were, coming to the rescue, but eyeing what's going under, cherry-picking the pick of the crop at a bargain price. Absolutely, that will be their strategy. They're all reviewing businesses. Uh, At the moment, they're putting a lot of effort into seeing what's around, what they think may move into administration or at least into a distressed state so they can move in rapidly. They are known for being able to move rapidly. Uh, That's part of their business model. Uh, The business model is to buy businesses, improve them and sell them whilst using significant amounts of debt to uh, leverage the financial structure. So they're likely to be pretty well positioned simply because they've got the two and a half trillion of debt of, um, of cash which they've raised from investors and can spend. Now, the two main casualties, you say, are going to be the property industry and banks. Uh, First up, property. Why is that in the firing line? You may recall I spoke about how businesses are not paying their suppliers. Uh, They're not. But at the end of the road, you nearly always find property. That landlords are the ones who are renting out their businesses their, in effect, their land, buildings, etc., to other businesses. And there's the end of the road in all of this, and they're simply not being paid at the moment. And they don't really have suppliers, except perhaps banks, which supply them with cash, um, to not pay. So what will happen as businesses fail to pay their creditors, perhaps go into administration, is that at best, property companies will have to do deals to try and get any rent for this period. And at worst, they'll be dealing with clients who've gone into administration and probably won't be paying them anything at all. So they're stuck there with virtually no income. And what about the banks? Well, they're the other people, again, at the end of the road here. They're the lenders. 
And they're sat there in effect. Um, they're not going to be paid back for a very, very long time. Um, they're very keen not to lend more at the moment, despite government promptings that they, they don't want to lend more because they know who'll be left holding the baby. That when all this has passed, they'll be the ones sitting on bad debts. So they don't want to lend any more. But much of the lendings they do have are problematic. You know, there are companies which are falling into difficulties, which might take forever to pay it off, may well need some sort of capital reorganization, which is technical speak for they'll do a deal with the bank to cut the amount of debt, i.e. they won't pay it back. They'll just say, you need to keep us living. And then there'll be a lot of administrations as well in which the banks are likely to lose some of their money. So they, again, are the lender at the end of the road in all of this who are going to be saddled with the big problems. But the banks are offering mortgage holidays, perhaps lowering interest rates, apparently to do their bit. Might it be, though, that they need more help than they're actually giving to others? Uh, That could end up there. I think less so with house lending in the mortgages to individuals in that uh, the housing stock has a value and clearly they have security on the house. So if the worst came to the worst, they can sell the house, even if house prices fall, which is quite possible. But that is likely more over the next year or two rather than here and now. It's much more businesses where typically many businesses uh, sell and lease back their property. That is, the business doesn't own its factories, its offices, its land. They're owned by a landlord, and that landlord rents them to, in effect, to the business. And I think it's there where the business goes bust or the business has a major financial problem where the bank really doesn't get paid. And there will be huge amounts of, uh, shall we say, debt which sit in those categories, which has become high risk to the banks. And the banks do know this. They're under huge pressure from the government not to foreclose on any of their uh, loans. But you can see that a day of reckoning will eventually come. Well, after all these negatives, let's just look at a couple of solutions. What should firms do in this pandemic? Well, first of all, the only thing they can really do is conserve cash. If they are in the fortunate position of having large amounts of cash, then I think firms will go shopping at bargain basement prices for competitors when all this starts coming to an end because there'll be so many distressed businesses around. Many will have gone out of business, which means we'll end up with survival of the fittest. Uh, Those with cash, the bigger businesses will survive it. The smaller businesses, those in less successful competitive positions will, will lose it. They, they will disappear. And that ultimately will mean less competition. So customers will end up paying higher prices and they'll end up having less choice in, uh, in many areas. Uh, that's, uh, if you like, um, uh, a simple, if you like, outcome of all of this. But when the field's clear, doesn't it just give inventive entrepreneurs another opportunity to start up all over again and the carousel just goes round and round. That will eventually happen, undoubtedly. I think, though, that the fallout from this may take a number of years and it depends as well on the barriers to entry 
to a market. That is how easy is it or difficult is it to enter a market. Now, many industries, let's take the fashion industry with high street stores, we've saw, seen oh, a large proportion of the high street fashion industry go through receiverships, CVAs, many have gone out of business, but they will simply be replaced by others. Many of them will have a much stronger online presence and shops will only be more um, an outreach from an online selling arrangement. What will happen in effect though is industries are going to change significantly as a consequence. More online shopping, certainly for stores where that's possible, the current situation has facilitated that. It's got people used to doing it, although they would like to go back out to shops again, I'm absolutely sure. But some industries, so that has low barriers to entry, in effect. But some industries do have quite high barriers to entry, which means it's much harder for new competitors to arrive in those particular industries. And that's where, in effect, you end up simply with less competitors as a result of a major economic shock such as this one. Now, you say that in future, debt will be used more sparingly to finance business. What are the implications of that? Uh, well, uh, absolutely. That In truth, people like private equity will struggle more for future returns because clearly they rely to some extent on debt. But businesses generally will hang on to cash. I think there'll be less acquisitions going forward as a general We've seen over the last few years huge amounts of major acquisitions, a lot of it debt-fueled. Well, that will stop. They're going to have to have the cash to actually do that. And so, again, those with cash, fine. Those who haven't cash, got cash. It means prices for businesses will fall quite significantly. They had got very high. All this as well does mean cash will be more scarce. So cash investment in businesses such as technology businesses will reduce significantly. Investors will be much more selective as to where they put their money. So are we talking about a doomsday scenario here? The beginning of the end of capitalism as we've known it? No, although I think it quite likely we're going to see a bigger state going forward. The state will have to, will end up with equity holdings in probably a lot of businesses it doesn't really want and they probably will sell those off again in future years when they can um, get their money back. I don't. I think, I think fundamentally capitalism will arise again, but this is a very major setback for it, which will see it in trouble for a number of years. So if there's even less competition and entry barriers for new business are high... Um, Going back to where we started, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Netflix and Apple presumably they'll be laughing. Absolutely. For them, the world just gets better. And at the other end, at the more difficult end of taxi firms, accommodation, all these areas, they will find life much harder. And indeed, many of them were quite, uh, shall we say, had not got profitable business models anyway. And so they're just going to find life even more difficult. So as you've said, it's the Darwinian model. The fittest firms will survive. So does that mean that firms will have to start getting fitter to maintain their position? Yes, they will. But really, this particular model of survival will really end up, I think, with the biggest surviving and those with cash surviving. 
I think that's where it'll be. And smaller businesses will find it much harder. They normally are have higher levels of debt anyway. Um, that's what they have to use for funding. The margins are generally lower. They're the ones who are, you know, if you like, going to come under significant pressure during this uh, this period. And other sectors of business, travel, retail, construction, what about them? Well, I think governments will stimulate the construction industry one way or another. I think they will probably try and stimulate people buying new houses again uh, to try and get the industry going. It's too big. Uh, it has the advantage as well that, generally speaking, it's locally sourced. That is, government spending in this industry ends up being spent in the UK and goes to businesses stationed in the UK. So it's generally used as a way of getting the economy going again, and I'm sure the government will do that. Things like retail, I think, have got a more difficult time. I think town centres, when they restart, will restart a lot smaller than they were before the crisis. So back to our military metaphor at the beginning, what sort of landscape, battle-scarred as it is, what sort of landscape do you see when it's all settled? Yeah, less uh, bigger companies. I see a big move towards online media one way or another. See less meetings, less use of office space, more homeworking, uh, less use of transport. Many of these areas uh, will not completely go back to the way they were. There'll be fewer businesses competing. Many of them will be encumbered with large amounts of debt, which means they then struggle to invest. They can't invest going forward. There's been large numbers of people furloughed, but I think businesses will use this as a reason to reduce costs significantly. I think they're all reviewing the costs, and when they start up, they will choose to start with significantly less people than they had before the crisis. I think in the UK, we've always struggled with a productivity issue in that we've generally, for a number of years, we haven't got any more productive. And that has been a big damper on economic growth for the UK. And I think this will cause that to change. In effect, people are going to have to be more productive going forward, and I'm sure that businesses will ensure that's the case. They will find ways of getting more out of less. The downside, though, is I'm not sure, apart from government money, where money's going to come from for investment. So many companies are going to be so burdened with debt that they are going to struggle to invest in the way that they perhaps could have done. Now, I'm desperately trying to go out on a positive note, but perhaps I won't be able to. But, I mean, when you look at the position at the minute, is there anything positive to look forward to? Um, Probably more efficient business. (laughs) That's uh, uh, somewhere we'll probably end up with. But I think it's going to be a difficult uh, two or three years, really. But certainly the world will never be the same again after this. Well, that's probably as positive as we're going to get it. John, thank you. John Colley, Professor of Practice in Strategy and Leadership at Warwick Business School, talking to me, Trevor Barnes, for this Core Insights podcast.